From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by Charlie Harari, world-renowned lecturer and motivational speaker. Charlie shares what motivates and inspires him and discusses some of his biggest daily and global challenges. Also, the rabbis discuss trying to maintain control in a world where the only certainty seems to be more uncertainty. And what to do about celebrities who promote or defend anti-Semitism. All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Behind the Bima, episode number 16. I know we say this every week, it's so hard to believe that what began as an idea, informal conversation, let people into our lives, coffee talk, has become Behind the Bima up to episode 16. A lot of our listeners have asked us, is this a pandemic thing? Are we going to continue? They really love this, the conversations, the banter, the access, the guests have become amazing. And um, fellas, what do you think? Are we continuing when this is over? You have to speak to my agent. <laughs> have to speak to your we'll agent. Absolutely. The question so. is, do we ever do it in person or do we stay in our homes? Ooh, that is a big question. A big question. Do we move a podcast around the table, microphones? What do you, you think the energy would be very different in person versus the way we're doing the webinar or using the, the virtual uh, system? You think the energy of being in the room and feeding off of one another would be different? I think it's, it's more natural. I think that we're, we're used to sitting in a room where we're sitting around the table and this is a little unnatural so i think it would be a lot better as well i mean this is great but it'd be even better i agree as long as the microphone we would cut each other off us. less we would cut right. each other off less if we were in person well phil well, well. <laughs> <laughs> I, hear I wouldn't that. freeze i, I wouldn't have what? my freeze what moment <laughs> what i want to thank our sponsors tonight and uh, tonight we have a very special sponsorship again because it's another example of what we talked about last week, very boldly, somewhat brazenly, about the BRS movement. And again, we've got sponsorship from outside Boca, outside Florida. Our good friends, Professor Howard and Barbara Wiener, want to thank them for sponsoring in memory of his father, Mr. A.B. Wiener, Avram Amba Ben Chaim. And uh, they're excited to, uh, to sponsor tonight in memory of the dad who passed away last year. He was from Sigit, Romania survivor of Auschwitz and Buchenwald. Uh, he was in the same group as Elie Wiesel and Rabbi Lau, liberated also by Rabbi Herschel Schachter, Rabbi J.J. Schachter's father of blessed memory. So his Yurtzeit is now, and to uh, honor his memory, hopefully our conversation will, uh, will honor his memory, be inspiring, entertaining, informative, and we thank them for their sponsorship. And again, it's evidence, I hope, that what we're trying to promote and what we're trying to share and the light that we're trying to illuminate the world with is not relevant to a geographic location, but it's a movement and a mission that we hope that people can be part of wherever they live. Thank you for the sponsorship. <laughs> that was a little silent segue for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the energy will be better when we're in person and we know when the other person's talking. You can sponsor an of a bar mitzvah, weddings. We got it all here. We'll do whatever you want us to do. Yeah, corporate sponsorships. Right. Corporate sponsors, I love. When are we so, gonna have a kiddish? We should have like a kiddish tasting on the show at some point. Maybe a little, a little herring and kichel. I'm in. Oops. We um. One it'd bite. It'd be a great. It'd be a great scene. It'd be a great uh, segment to add. Rather, the problem is if people sent us food from all over, wherever they are, I don't know how that works in terms of when it arrives, how fresh or how healthy it would be to eat. But uh, that'd be kind of cool. A little food segment and rating the food that we eat. So calling all caterers, purveyors of food, uh, sealed food, solid food, food that can travel well, <laughs> send it to the three of us, and we're happy to promote and share, but we have to give an honest rating. We will not uh, give be, a dishonest rating. It has rating. to be vegan and no carbs to, to fit not, all three and, of our needs. <laughs> and, and not dairy. And not dairy. <laughs> not dairy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's the Ashkenazi stomach right there. L'chaim. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're doing it already. Oh, there you go, our L'chaim. So I'll tell you, for our L'chaim tonight, I was uh, reminded of a line from Fiddler on the Roof. Someone shared with me an article that incorporated this line. Uh, in Fiddler on the Roof, of course, the famous song, To Life. And uh, in it, it talks about the joy that can come from uncertainty. So I'm not going to sing it for you, even though one of my daughters was Tevya and starred in Fiddler on the Roof. I'm not going to sing it for you, even though I heard it practiced several times. To us and our good fortune, be happy, be healthy, long life. And if our good fortune never comes... Here's to whatever comes. Drink l'chaim to life. Right. I think after one more of those, you can probably hear Rabbi Goldberg sing the song. Rabbi <laughs> <laughs> Brody, do you remember when you and I heard that last? In the La, I do. La Rome Hotel. Federation Mission. We took over. 
Why that was, was that right. playing in the inbound? Federation lobby? mission Friday night dinner with our colleagues and friends from the Federation and Matt Levin, the CEO of the Federation, after several glasses of wine on a Friday night. Apparently, he too was a star in Fiddler on the Roof and mm. uh, entertained the entire Inbal Hotel in the lobby at about one o'clock in the morning on Friday on set on Shabbos morning with until singing the hotel of, staff. Uh, until the hotel staff Matt. had to call security. It was great. I, know, I did not know that Matt had that in him. He yeah. probably Matt built, and Rabbi it out, Levin. built it out a good tech. And Rabbi Levin. Matt and Rabbi Levin. Two of them. Wow. That's Amazing what a couple of good drinks will do. <laughs> Unbelievable. So think about that line for a moment. That's why I wanted to open with it in Futhar Lachaim, because I think in many ways it captures what we're all feeling these days. If there were a word to capture, we'll come back to this later, but it's uncertainty. There's just an uncertainty. There's a feeling of uneasiness. There's doubt, there's for many anxiety, fear, what will be, when will it come, who will be okay, will we open? You know, for some it's will there be school and what will be with the stock market and what will happen with my job? And for others it's, you know, God forbid there's a spread of virus and when will it infiltrate my kid's camp or my home or it's in my home? When is it coming for me? There's a lot of uncertainty that's going around. And, and the philosophy here, which uh, I think actually is a, is a Torah philosophy, is that um, be happy, be healthy, we want and we wish for a long life, but if our good fortune never comes, to whatever comes, drink l'chaim to life because it's what's meant to be. So you make the most of what you have and, and you turn that into your life and you say l'chaim. What's the alternative? To be miserable, pessimistic, despondent, to be down in the dumps. <laughs> we got a uh, Navy SEAL. We've got a, for those who are listening to our podcast, behind Rabbi Brody, a Navy SEAL just basically crawled across the floor, <laughs> did a good job making his way across the room. So, I mean, that, that's a, it's an attitude about uncertainty. That's l'chaim to life. Absolutely. Don't we say, we talk all the time about letting go, letting God, how there are things in our control and things that aren't in control. And uh, we do the best that we can do and the rest we leave up to Hashem. That's it. That's it. Hey, Brody, you have a guest. Sure <laughs> You're getting bunny ears. <laughs> yeah. For those listening, by the way, our podcast continues to climb the charts, Search Jewish, and uh, it's making its way all the way up. I want to thank. It's amazing because we forgot to mention several times, but people continue to rate and review, which is the way the podcast climb. There is no doubt in my mind that our special guest tonight, Charlie Harari, who I got so many texts today saying, Charlie is the greatest. He changed my life. He motivates. He inspires me. Charlie is going to have a lot of amazing things to say tonight. And when you rate and review, just, just go on your phone right now. Go on whatever device, go on to podcasts, behind the Bima, rate, write a one-sentence review, and more people will be able to hear Charlie tomorrow. It's worth it, no? If you believe in Charlie. Amazing. So Help people that never mission. knew of him are going to be turned on to all the, the great things he's, he's got to offer. Like, can I just yeah. say something about what you just said? I mean, I was just on the phone with someone today. We're talking about a program, and I said, you know what? Okay, so maybe we'll get this thing going in a month. And I was like, well, I don't know if we're going to be open in a month. But I said, January, for sure, this program is going to happen. We're going to do it. And I said, this might not happen for another year. Like, when are, we, when are we ready to open? That's the uncertainty. We don't know what life looks like. And, you know, we've been, you know, let's, let's let people behind the beam here a little bit, right? We're talking about, we've mentioned this before, how do we convey to people persuasively, compellingly, why they should rejoin membership, why community and membership matters? And of course, the most significant and meaningful way will be to say that there's a benefit, there's a privilege, there's uh, something that comes from being part of community. We're going to provide whatever it takes. We're going to give you a Yom Naraim. We're going to give you a Rosh Hashanah experience. It might be in your driveway. It might be at the end of your block. It might be in having Minyanim every two hours on the two hours at the shul from the morning till the evening, including chauffeur and Musaf at 5 p.m. Certain people are signing up already for that slot. Um, but we're going to be there and we're going to do that for you. So we're living with that uncertainty, the uncertainty right. of will our members renew membership? Can we provide? Can you, Rav Schechter Paskind, you're going to put a mask on the end of a chauffeur in order to be able to blow chauffeur. And if there's an icon or image or logo that really captures what this is, it's got to be, it has to be a chauffeur with a mask on the end of it. That's got to say everything about Corona 2020, right? 100%. So and people also have to realize that rabbis around the country are grappling with this. I got a call from a rabbi today wanting to know what we at BRS are thinking about doing. He said around the tri-state area, they're renting out pizza shops, any facility that's going to be closed over Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, they're renting out and using literally every crevice of space possible and available to be able to host as many minyanim as possible. So, right. you know, people think that there are easy solutions there are no easy solutions here. It's going to be a very complicated. Rabbis are working very hard with their lead leadership to make sure that they're able to provide services, that they're able to provide an environment 
for meaningful davening in crazy yeah. times, really crazy. You talk times. about uncertainty. Talk about uncertainty. You know who's listening? You know who's with us tonight? You know I see who's joined us. One of our heroes, the great Ellie Beer. Big Mazel well, Tov! Shout yeah. out Ellie Beer. Grand, became Grandpa Zayda. Ellie Beer. Ellie Beer is a Zayda. We exchanged messages, welcomed him to the club. It was what actually a great coming conversation. On the show? I hope hey, come on right up. now. We haven't wanted to bother him because of the time difference, but obviously I see that time difference doesn't matter much to him. So Ellie, it's great to see you. It's great to have you. I texted Ellie and I said, Mazel Tov, and I saw you had a baby. Mazel Tov, it's amazing. So he writes back to me, if I'm not mistaken, I'm a member of the club. You're a Zeta, right? I said, yeah. He said, wasn't the bris last Sukkot time in Israel? I said, yeah, that's an amazing memory. He says, people thought I lost it when I was under, when I was in, when I was in a coma. I said, Ellie, I never doubted you for a second. You're a bear, man. That guy is strong like an ox. So Ellie, oh, huge oh, mazel tov. Sure. We're happy you're well. Continue to be well. Chaim to Ellie Beer. Chaim to Ellie Beer. Chaim to life. A long and happy life. Please, God. We just featured United Hatzalah in our Jewish Unity Day program last week. We That's have right. an ambu cycle. Our community has one. Yishai right. is driving it. There's, look right. at Ellie Beer. There's a guy who, whose life story, and we'll have him on, so he'll tell it more, uh, more directly. But here's somebody who encountered something in his life, a sad thing, a tragedy, and he turned it around to save lives. You talk about L'chaim right. to a long life. How many people has he helped and enabled to have a long life and say L'chaim? Because he, he took his experience and turned it into changing people's lives. But it's amazing. more than that. What makes Ellie amazing, and again, when he's on, he could tell the story. Ellie is all about love and all about unity, a message that is so critically important in our world nowadays. If you think about right. what Hatzalah is able to accomplish in Israel, bridging different segments of the community together, Arab, Israeli, even within the Israeli population, that to me is the most extraordinary part that, uh, that should never be overlooked of the greatness of Hatzalah, the ability to bring people together in peace and, uh, and speak a certain language that is unifying, not divisive. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, he's one of those heroes. So it's great to see him joining us and listening to us tonight. So yeah, that's a period of uncertainty. I, I actually saw the news today. Um, I saw a news clip, a news segment, and um, the newscaster was asking a doctor and said, are we going to get an October surprise before the election that the president's going to present a vaccine? It's going to get fast-tracked. It's going to be ready. And the October surprise that's going to change the election is the vaccine. So the doctor looked at the, at the journalist, the newscaster asking, and said, you do know that like the earliest that we'll have a vaccine manufactured, tested, readily available, the earliest is a year from now, next summer. So there's, no, there's no October surprise. So when you talk about life returning to some semblance of normalcy, right. this, this un uncertainty has become the new thing you can be certain about. So we have right. to adjust. We have to be able to live. We have to be able to live with the certainty of uncertainty and to drink l'chaim to it and not wake up expecting to know what's going to happen the next day. There's been a lot of certainty, I think, and uncertainty in all of our lives, right? Rabbi Brody, you got a lot going on in your life. And Rabbi Moskowitz, I know in your home all the time, your wife's a, a healthcare provider. And uh, I know she's uh, on the front, front lines of helping people and in our home as, as we're planning and trying to take care of some things. It's just, you just got to adjust to the certainty of uncertainty and drink l'chaim to life. That's, uh, you know, it's funny, we're talking about it, but it's so counterintuitive to a modern philosophy where we like being in control, we like certainty, we crave rational approaches to things, and these times are irrational. As you said, there's no certainty, and if anything, it's been defined by our inability to maintain any sense of control. And so for people who crave that, right, we love to be able to have control of our lives. Right. It's a right. real, it's a real lesson for many people to realize that there's a limitation to what we're able to do and what we're able to understand. And that certain times you just have to shrug your shoulders and say, I'm going to do my best and leave the rest up to Hashem. Have you found that people have been humbled by this pandemic? Do people act like they're less in control, recognizing their mortality and their humanity and realizing just how vulnerable and fragile we all are? So absolutely. And I'll even go further. I'll say, I think, again, as you said, my wife is, uh, she's a nurse practitioner, she's, um, but she's obviously dealing with this every single day. And one of the things she's helped sensitize to me is really the humility within the medical profession. Um, medicine, which despite, you know, we, I know we had Jerome Groupman on the other day, but medicine, which is so research-based and is so built off of knowledge that could be tested and retested and, and reaffirmed, all of a sudden, so many people are shooting from the hip. And there's really no sense of certainty in there. You know, even I know with, with Dr. Fauci on a national level, they're taking statements that he made in March and they're bringing it up to him now. And it's the exact opposite of what he said back then because there's such a lack of certainty oh. and there's such a lack of understanding. Hey, 
There he is, the man of the hour. We're just talking about you, wow. Charlie. Oh. <laughs> we're just talking just about you. Ended it the coffee. South Florida Lions Den. Charlie didn't know that we updated the title from Coffee Talk to Behind the Bema, so he's drinking the 9.15 p.m. cup of coffee. Oh, I love it. Forever. It's actually drinking- weird. I watch Charlie every day, and he does a show from that same spot. I feel like I'm on his That's show. That's his spot. Of course. Every morning. We're on. 100%. Thank you for watching. Charlie. Charlie is the man. Charlie, I want to welcome you and introduce you to our audience. We are streaming across platforms, and thank God we're growing a huge audience on uh, podcast itself. People are rating and reviewing us and helping us climb those charts. Maybe. Someday we'll come close to the great Charlie Harari, but uh, for now, it is really an honor and a privilege to welcome you on. Charlie's not just a guest, and he's not just, of course, a celebrity, but he's a dear friend. All of us have known him for a long time, uh, long before he was famous, and uh, and he hasn't changed a bit. He's the same humble person that he that he was then is who he is now. We all know Charlie. Charlie is a exceptional businessman, business leader. He's an author, unlocking the greatness. He is Bro, a motivational Brody. speaker. Brody's got it. Brody's promoting. Brody. It. You're getting a I know. The problem is Rabbi Goldberg's like, "There's no way you read that. You don't read." Exactly. <laughs> He's got the yeah. book on the board. Come on, listen is to that, it. Yeah, is it out on audio version for Rabbi Brody to listen? It is. It's on audio. It's on audio. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. But anyway, Charlie, you're, you, you don't even need an introduction. It's really, really great to have you. Thanks so much for spending it's, some time with us. Tonight. Thanks for inviting me, not forgetting about your New Yorker friends. And this show is already making its waves across the entire Jewish world. So it's a schluss for me to be on. And you guys are my heroes. So keep on doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. So, Charlie, we want to jump right into it. You know, people know the Charlie Harari that they see jumping across a stage, a bima, jumping out of their screen, whether it's on H.com, your podcast, your streaming videos, uh, what you put out just goes viral. Just Charlie, that energy. I know that when I listen to you, that energy is contagious. I like need to take a nap after I listen to you. I feel totally exhausted and expended. So there's the Charlie Harari that everyone sees in front of the camera they know, but that's not what this show is about. This show is about going behind the bima with you. So we're not going to ask you deeply personal questions, obviously inappropriate questions, but we want to give our audience, and frankly, we want to have a conversation that goes a little bit behind the Bima. Um, And I want to take you back to, we had breakfast um, last summer, two summers ago, and we were having a great conversation. The struggle of um, making our brand the Torah, making our brand the message, and never us. And the fact that we spend so much time in yeshiva, we spend a lot of time studying the Musser self-help character development books that teach us you know, humility and uh, you don't need to, to, to promote yourself and just blend in and it's not about you or your name, run away from covered from honor, all the messages that our sacred Torah, timeless Torah has been teaching us forever. And then you get into the work that we're doing and then we feel, and people around us are pushing us, no, 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 no. let me make you a logo and you got to be on social media. We're going to post you. We're going to help you go viral. You're going to get the message far across. And in that conversation, we had breakfast and we talked about the tension. And I, I don't know if you remember, I asked you then, I said, would you have this conversation on screen? I think people would be fascinated to know that we struggle with it, that there's a piece of us that struggles with it and that you need checks and balances, that we don't ever want to give in to think it's about us or it's about our name. How can we stay true and honest to the messages that we're trying to promote, which is of humility and modesty? So. Do you struggle with that? And how do you kind of balance that? And how do you decide when you're pushing the boundary, when it's enough, when it's time to disconnect, turn off, when what you're getting out there is not about you, it's about Hashem? How do you, how do you relate to that struggle? Wow. Okay, let's start that way. I'm saying like, let's not, let's not <laughs> Softball. That's the softball. There's no, there's no ramp up, right? This isn't like, how are you? This is like, drink. let's get rolling. That was the easy question. That's how we roll in Boca. I love it. Okay, let's do this. Um, it, it's 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 the it's the struggle it's the fight that everybody goes through in every in, in life it's in my opinion it's it's what what are we true to to ourselves or to to our message so everyone struggles with it if they're being honest i think the person who has wealth and is giving charity and he's giving charity because there's a certain pressure to give charity is it the is the organization or is it being part of something the person that has has anything in life that has success in business that has success in in what they do that anytime that the that there's a spotlight on anybody in any area there's that immediate tension between i really care about the thing versus I'm enjoying, even if it's not selfish, I am enjoying the fact that I can help and I am in, included in that conversation. So there's a couple of ways to get, get around it. Halavai, I'm there. I'm just, I'll share with you what I've learned and I'll share with you ways that I've struggled with it. First is you always need someone in your life that could care less about what you do. 
Like it's always important that you have someone in your life that never heard you. If, if let's assume it's in speaking or it's in anything you do, if you have nobody in your life that could care less, it's very hard to have a perspective besides the people that are getting what you're giving. So whether that's a family member or a rabbi, I find rabbis, they're, they're perfect because usually they, 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 can, they, can, they can live outside where you are and they don't talk to you for any other reason than you. And they're a, a sounding board that ha, that's not no gaya in any which way. Um, but really the struggle, and this is really the struggle, and I think this is the struggle in life, is you have to get be honest with yourself. You have to ask yourself, if somebody else gave that message, would I be happy for them? Or would I want me to be the one giving the message? You have to ask yourself, am I okay walking into a room and not being able to do the thing that I want to do, if that's what Hashem wants? And if you're not asking the question, is this me or is this Hashem? Here's the challenge. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, I've succeeded at this. I'm just sharing with you what I've learned along the way. A person can get up there and be influential and make no impact because the, the, the words can come out of your mouth, but the impact is between your neshama and their neshama, between the Kaddish Baruch Hu and them. And all, you, all we are are just intermediaries. And so if a person really wants to make a difference in this world, the only way they make a difference is if they are shaliyah havasham. And the more a person is a vessel, the more God can put in stuff. And the more God puts in stuff, the more impact it has when it leaves. And it's really hard to know that unless you're looking for it. Because real impact, real success is working for the king. Because the king knows exactly what he needs. And the king needs people to fulfill his mission. And we can be standing in the right spot at the right time to do the right thing for the Boreolum. And the minute we go, I own this, or this is going to be great, or I got the best story, or this is going to be, and then we get that like little gaiva in there. That may be the block that bring that blocks the real shefa, the real siyat of the shmaya, the real help from Hashem that will put the words in that'll make the impact in somebody else. Well, you're you're definitely succeeding. I think what makes you so compelling and and what makes us all love and admire you is that it comes across. It's genuine. It's real that you are struggling with it and that you're practicing what you preach. And, you know, we all know those personalities who it's really all about them. It's not about the message. They are the brand and we're turned off to that. And um, I think, you know, to a certain degree, as long as you're struggling, then you've won. Meaning the day that you stop struggling and the day that you forget to be pushed back, which really is the segue to the next question I want to ask you. And then we'll we'll invite the other rabbis to ask as well, which is, you know, it would, it would be a disservice to limit you to say you're a motivational speaker. I mean, there's content, there's depth, there's profundity, there's, there's, there's text, there's real learning that you provide and to so many levels and, and so many ways. But you have a motivational impact. You have motivational impact. People are charged when, you, when they turn you off after listening to you online or they walk out of a venue where you spoke, you, know, you, you motivate, you motivate. So I'm curious, going behind the bima with you is, do you ever struggle to practice what you're preaching? Are we more inspired and motivated by what you're saying than you are even? Do you ever feel like you walked off that stage or you turned off that mic and you're like, you know, I performed tonight to get the message across. I believe it and it's real and I want people to absorb it, but I'm not really feeling it right now. And, and when that happens, what's that, what's that like? So, so first I want to thank you for all your kind words. They mean a lot to me and they're very sweet and they're generous and they're kind. And I want to just say, Emir Hashem, they should all be true and Hashem should, can, should bless me and whatever you're doing should really be a bracha that they should be in the future because whatever it is is from Hashem and everything you're saying should just be what Hashem wants to happen from now and forever. Um, Amen. And, and the answer is of course, of course. And I hope nobody in the world thinks that when I say something, it's because I've mastered it. I'm saying things because I'm feeling it. Not because I'm master. I'm a total nobody. I'm a zero. I'm whatever Hashem puts in. And if he stops putting things in, I'm gone. There's nothing that I have of value except for what Hashem puts in me when he puts in me. I'm not a holy guy. I'm not a rabbi. I'm just a regular dude. A regular dude. And what I'm sharing is just how I feel about things, not necessarily what I've mastered. So when, when if I say things that are about relationships that, I, I ha- I'm still working on my own relationships. If I say things about parenting, I'm still working on my parenting. Like I feel more than I win. 
I'm, I'm worse than I, I like to be. And I got, I have so much more to accomplish in this world because I've done so little already with my life. And I'm just hoping Hashem doesn't lose faith in me. God, I know, I know he won't because he's us? my dad. What? You, you have a good failure to share with us? Everything. Always. You know what I'm saying? Like every day, a hundred <laughs> times. Like I could always be a better husband. I'm, I'm, I'm a better dad. I, I'm, I, I'm, and, and, and the one thing that I try, and I'm not saying I succeed at this, is just to try to find things that motivate me to share. I got this, this Yusoid from a guy named Raymond Beta tw- 30 years ago. I heard him speak at a conference and he said, if the joke's not funny to you, don't tell the joke. If the story doesn't, if you don't like the story, don't tell the story. Just because someone else likes the joke doesn't mean you like the joke. Find the things that you like. And, and by the way, and, and, I, and I don't do certain things that other people do. Like I don't quote a lot of Pesukim. It's, it's because I don't, I, when I hear it, I have all, I, I, I like sports and I quote a ton of sports and sometimes people are like, we get it. Like I, I again, with the Patriots, I'm a New Yorker. They're like, I don't know how else to tell the story because I only see the world through sports. I wish I saw the world through literature. I wish I were like more intellectual. I'm just, and so if, if I, if I find it motivating, it's probably because it's a chisaron in me. And so as a result, when someone says it or you hear it or you see that Yosef overcame that challenge or, you know, Avram Avinu walked into a fire pit, I'm thinking, I wish I were like that. I wish I was a Mossad guy that can like, you know, live in Iran and help the Jewish people and blow up bombs. And so I'm just trying to share with Hashem's help, even, even that, it's all what Hashem is putting in, just trying to share that which moves me not that which I've mastered. Because if I'm going to have to share things that which I've mastered, I'm not going to have a lot to say because I haven't mastered a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying like everybody else. And, and to me, that's just, that's, that's sort of how I see it. I think we're all in it together. And I think to your point, I think as soon as anyone thinks they mastered something, they by definition didn't master it. And I think as long as people are, and I hope that people realize that the best way to grow and to learn is to lock <laughs> arms and just to do it Every together. Day. Because, no, you know, that that's how we that's how we do it in Kali Yisrael. It's it's not that we someone wins the davening award. Everyone always has to daven better. So if we could just all do it together, we'll we'll be better and we chazig each other along the way. And then at some point, someone's going to walk in and go, "All right, guys, you tried your hardest. Like, whatever. It was like, let's just go home. Let's just go home. Like, it's been a pleasure. Like, it, you know, it, you gave it a shot, but." I love you anyways. You're my kids. And here's a nice apartment for you wherever in Eretz Yisrael. And like, we're good to go. That's how, at least that's how I see the, the, the evolution of our people. So Charlie, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, obviously I've also known you for many years and admired you. Everything except for your pick of sports teams. Um, I was told I was not allowed to talk about the Giants or the Patriots. But, um, but we can agree. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not a Patriots fan. I just think Bill Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. It's a different, 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 different podcast, different podcast. All right. We can agree with that. Um, I guess my question is a little bit different. You, uh, you obviously have an enormous talent an incredible ability to draw people in and to connect with people and to motivate them and inspire them. But you took a little bit of a different route than someone would have expected to have gotten there, right? You started off in the business world at a certain point, you transitioned more to the motivational public speaking. Um, and my question is, there's so many people that spend an entire lifetime looking for calling, right? What does Hashem want from me? How could I contribute my talents? At what point did it kind of click in your head where you said, you know what, I'm on a certain trajectory. I'm going to shift it a little bit because this is what Hashem wants from me. This is where I could put my co-host. This is where I can put my, all my uh, impact on Kalal Israel. When did you make that decision? Was it a difficult decision? Was it clear, like you had this epiphany and the light bulb went off and he said, Charlie Harari's got to be doing this? Or did you struggle with it and you struggled with what path you should take and in what direction you should put your, uh, your service of Hashem towards? So I still struggle with it. I spend most of my time from, from an hour perspective in the business world still. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't ha- I, ha- I don't have that epiphany. And, and it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what Hashem wants from me. I thought it was one thing, and I don't know if it is. Years ago, I went to a major, major tzaddik in Eretz Yisrael and said, I want to give up everything and go into Kiruv. And he said, no. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you, did you hear my question? Like, I want, to be more, I want to be like you. Like, I'm ready to give it up. And this tzaddik living in a small little place in Eretz Yisrael where a kid said, I'm saying to him, I want to give up money and go do claw work. And he's like, no. I'm like, what do you mean no? He's like, that's not how it works. 
and he, like he said, this is where you are. This is where you need to be. Make it work. I, I don't have that epiphany. I wish I did. I wish I did. I daven for that. I dream for the moment where I wake up in the morning and I go, I know what Hashem wants from me. I have no clue. And halavai, I should just answer where he sends me. Sometimes I look at my day and it's filled with emails and stuff to do. And I, I, I try to mechazik myself and say, maybe I'm just working Hashem's task list because I don't know really what he wants from me. I don't think anyone ever knows. And I think in the world of real MS, I think you can take somebody who is like the greatest doctor in the world. And he says, that's my tafkid. And maybe it is. And maybe along the way, there was a whole bunch of non-medical things that he did. And that was just as much of his tafkid. And maybe the greatest professor who has hundreds of people at his lectures and changes Yisrael has a kid who's struggling in school. And he doesn't think he's smarter than that kid because he's an intellectual and that kid can barely read and write and he gets on the floor and maybe Hashem says, you know why I put you in this planet for? You think I care about your brains? I gave you brains. This is the reason why you memorize. You know why I put you in the planet? Because I needed you to work on your gaiva. That that third kid is, is more chashub than everyone that comes in your way. Maybe the reason why a person is so important is so that he can sit with his wife and never forget that she is the most important person God ever will ever give him. And an hour with her every night in God's eyes is more chashev than when he stands on the podium. I don't know. I know for sure that it's probably closer to the things that we don't know than the things that we do know. And our job, in my opinion, is to do what God wants of us, but to never rest in thinking that maybe I got it all wrong. And I got to fight. And, and if I believe that I got to go somewhere, I'm going to go somewhere. And if I believe that I, I, can, I can contribute in some way, I'm going to contribute in some way. And I, I, one thing that I've learned to myself, I, I, I read this whole book about, I, I, I'm looking at this guy named Alan Turing. Alan Turing, if you know him, he invented this small little thing called a computer. Um, he was a English inventor who actually figured out how to crack the enigma that won the war for England. And his greatest hop was that everyone was trying to figure out the enigma, which is the code that the Nazis would use. He hopped, don't figure out what they're using. Figure out what they're, figure out which, which, don't figure out what the code is. Figure out what the code is not. His hop was if you eliminate everything off the tree, whatever's left is. So I think in life you have to do that. I think you have to eliminate things and say, I'm really not good at this. I'm only doing this because of this. I'm really not good at this. I'm really not good at this. I, I think you have to eliminate things that you're not naturally good at so that you can hone in on the things that you are naturally good at so that you can give more of that to the world. And I think you have to give it more to the world than to take it. So I think if you're just eliminating things that you're not good at and you're focusing on the value that you can give, you're getting closer, but I don't know if we can ever stop and say to ourselves, this is my Tafkid. Because I don't know if, if, if God has revealed that to anybody. And it, it could not be. And so, I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I, I hope I'm, it's making an impact. And I know, I hope I, I hope I know that it doesn't really matter. And I'm the most irrelevant piece of this equation. If Hashem's going to be a part of this. Um, but to just keep on moving towards the area that you feel that when you're in it, that time stops and just keep on moving towards the things that when you're done, you say to yourself, I would do this for free no matter what, like no matter what, I'll never stop doing this. And just, just sort of trust that if you're in that general area where you feel like you're not looking at your watch and you feel good about it and you feel like, oh my gosh, if I can do more of this, then somehow if you can just not get too gaivedic in that area, Hashem may be able to use you as a vessel for that small little thing. And then never forget that along the way, there could be all of your tafgid. Right, because at the end of the day, if you think about it, the guy who's brilliant, who's a professor, who is that his tafkid or is that his gift? Right, that may be that may be what God gives him as a free gift, so that along the way, he gets to do his tafkid. You hear what I'm saying? Like a very tzaddik idea, but yes, yeah. That, sometimes that the things that you're the best at are really the things that God gives you, but the things you have to work the hardest in are what your tafkid is. So. Uh-huh. You got to keep on doing the things that God gives you because he's giving it to you to use, but 
if you if you forget that there may be tough get everywhere to the side of that and the tough get is always going to make you sweat right a tough get is always going to have you go i can't do this because if you could do it why would you need to do it your tough get is, is by almost definition the things that you can't do because you're in this world to do things you couldn't do you hear what i'm saying just run it just, just for any listeners, you know, Tafkid means your life mission, your purpose, right. your work, and right. and so on. Sorry okay. for that. So I'm sorry for the long no, answer. No. I just want to be honest. Like we're behind the beamer, right? Like I, this is no. Like, I love it. And part of the, and it. I think that's part of. Uh, I think it's part of why people are so inspired by you and drawn to you, is specifically because you're not a rabbi, right? People assume, oh, you're a rabbi, you have to go to minion. You're a rabbi, you have to learn Torah. You're a rabbi, you have to live a certain way. But if I'm just a balabas, if I'm a worker, I'm in real estate, I'm in business, I'm in finance. So I, I don't have to put as much time into learning, into giving over my energies to impact the world. And I think part of what makes you so incredible is that specifically that you're in the business world, and yet that doesn't diminish anything from your burning desire to contribute to the world and to, and to use your talents to, to make Hashem's world a little bit of a better place. So I think that's amazing about you, and I think that's what inspires everyone about you. I mean, thank you. I'll tell you a great Misa once that really inspired me. I was once with a friend of mine who was learning about Judaism, and we were together, and it, we, we, were, we were business colleagues, and he was really trying to grow. He didn't have a background, and he was really, and we were, we were together. We weren't learning or anything like that. We were just, we worked together. We worked in the same law firm. So um, we were away in, you know, we're in the city for a, a business conference and I wanted to have a mincha. So I found a shul downtown New York in downtown Manhattan. There's like four bajillion minions and I found one, but it wasn't like a regular, like, like holy minion, which by the way, I, th- I think are the greatest things in the world. I think mincha, I think when mincha happens, everyone finds a corner to dive. And I think a Kodesh Baruch was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. That's my personal opinion. Even if you go hundred miles an hour, I think it's the greatest thing in the world. But I found a shul, like a little shul. So we get to the shul, the guy sits in the back of me, he's very respectful, and he wants to daven. He wants to pray, he wants to be part of it. So I give him a sitter, I sit next to him, and all of a sudden the guy gets up and says, who wants to daven? Who wants to lead? Now this seems like a normal thing for, for, the, for people. And the guy's like, you do it, you do it, you do it. And finally some guy got up and, and he got up there and he davened, and he just led the services. So we all pan out, and the guy's sitting there, and he looks at me, he's like, that was incredible. I'm like, how fast a Jew can read Hebrew? Like, what was so incredible about it? Like, they got, what, what, what about it motivated you that he said four, 400 words in 17 seconds or less? And he says, anybody can just get up there? I said, yeah. He goes, where I go to temple, he's like, one guy does it. He's called a cantor. One person. He goes, all of you can do that? Like, all of you? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's incredible. All of you <laughs> can stand and represent everybody before God? And it dawned on me. That's exactly how God wants it. All of us have a shot. Now, those who work hard, yeah, they become rabbis because they know stuff. They, 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 people that spend a career doing this, there's a reason why you have great rabbis like the ones that look like you guys and other people. But every single Jew needs to understand this is the property of all of ours. And if we don't take a piece and own it, there's going to be a piece of Torah that never comes out in this world because God divided it up and said, it's for all of you. And I walked away so inspired, even though I never thought about it. That's exactly how it's supposed to be. I don't got to be a rabbi to love learning. I don't have to, I don't have to have three, one of three jobs in order to wake up in the morning and try to get close to my creator. It's who said, and to me, that is one of the greatest gifts of learning of Judaism is that Judaism is a religion that is built for every human being, man, woman, and child. And no, I know Rabbi Brody has a question, wants to jump in, but Charles, I just got, I got to ask you this. I just got to ask you this. Do you jump out of bed already with that level of energy? When you open your eyes, are you like, I roll. come on, let's go. Yes. If that I'm on last, a show, maybe. If I'm on a show, maybe. Is that like till the night? Does that like till the night when you're going to bed, you're like, good night, honey. Good night. Like, <laughs> your kid's ever down? like, dad, dad. Let's go and have a cup of coffee at 940 no, no, at night. It helps. You know what I'm saying? Like, where, where, where's the downtime? Is there a time of the day where you run into a wall and you like, you're at the water cooler and you're like, 
Hi, Bob. I'm so tired. Like, is there, a, is there ever a time <laughs> of the day that you run into that wall? Yeah. Is your high energy uh, from we're when not you until you fall asleep? I'm with my crew. I'm with the best guys in the world. We're talking about God. We're like, are you kidding me? Like, this is it. They're like, this is like the best thing in the world. I'm not like sitting around looking at a document. I love it. I this want whatever is- you're taking. I right. want some of whatever you're on. It's amazing. It's amazing. Rabbi Brody. So I think, you know, one of the biggest problems I have with Charlie is that, you know, for years I was taking all of his Torah and then everyone I meet, I introduce them to his Torah. Like we went with 200 guys to Israel and now every week I want to give them a Devar Torah. So I would normally go to Charlie's Devar Torah, but they're, they're getting it anyway. So I can't. Cut out the middleman, Rabbi. It's all how we do it. <laughs> I try to repackage it sometimes. I love like, you. Oh, I love you. like, Rabbi, it sounded a little familiar. I'm like, nah, coincidence. You should, by the <laughs> way, you should see weeks. Rabbi Brody in Israel <laughs> with his crew. It is, it's, a, it's awesome. He is a we, master. We, 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 had a, we, had, we always have a good time. But let me ask you a question. And first of all, I've done the study. So you'll say you're very humble. Like, you know, you're happy. It connects with a few people here and there. I'm telling you, when you see 200 guys in a room and 200 out of 200 connect with something you're saying. And then I see some other rabbis get up in front of a similar group or the same group and it doesn't resonate. I'm, I'm, you're not, you, I, I, and I've seen this happen over and over. I've been watching the whole country. I, I see it happening. Is there something, is. well, I'm, that's my, my opinion. <laughs> but, you know, is there something you see perhaps other rabbis, and I'm not criticizing other rabbis, but I'm just wondering, you see other rabbis and you say, you know, you've got the Torah, you've got the knowledge, the message is great, but something, you're not packing it right, or you're trying to be someone you're not. You're trying, you're trying to, you think this is the way it's supposed to be, but I can tell you, it's not like that. It's, it, there's, no, there's no honesty or there's no genuineness. Is that, am I missing something? I just feel like that's, that's what's happening out there. So I, 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 I don't, thank you. And for God's help, that should be true. Um, and it should continue. Um, let me share with you what I'm thinking, regardless of, of you know, what I, someone else is doing. But let me share with you what I'm thinking. I find sometimes when, when, when somebody presents, there's really one of two things going on. And I, I'm not saying I do this well. I'm just telling you what, what I'm trying to do. And hopefully what I'm trying to do, like I said, I'm not mastering it. I'm just sharing it. There's always two targets when you have a, a, a speech. It's either the speaker or the people that you're speaking to. And it's very hard to tell the difference. If I see something and I, it, well, sorry, if somebody sees something and they love it, oh my gosh, that's the best of our Torah I've ever seen. And they share it. Who are they speaking to? Are they speaking to the audience or are they speaking to themselves? They heard an idea. They love it. They share it. So, you may fall in, someone may fall into a trap and they go, this is phenomenal. And they say it. They don't, the audience doesn't think it's phenomenal. It, the audience may not connect. It may not be what the audience needs to hear or it may be phenomenal, but not at the level of the audience. And so I think what a common pitfall is, is delivering messages that you love versus the message that you think someone else needs to hear. And that's a distinction that I think is critical. It happens a lot when it comes to um, proving things. Sometimes you see someone proving things again and again. And are you proving it because they need proof or because there's a certain feeling you get when you could quote and when you can prove, right? This is a big thing in law. Sometimes you make your case, stop quoting cases. Sometimes you prove someone proves a point. God says this. We don't. We may not need to know chapter and verse for the next four minutes as to making sure that you're correct. So, my sense is that sometimes there are. It, it, it may come across as the speaker is speaking to themselves, and the audience is listening, versus the speaker is speaking to the audience. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because I've heard all three of you speak and none of you do this. And that's why you're so successful at what you do and why people are coming to listening to you, not only in shul, but on the podcast. And you thank God our masters at this. But I'm just sharing things that I've learned Amen. along the way. Amen, it should just way. be true. <laughs> Amen, that's true. And, and I'm sharing what I've learned along the way 
is that that's really the challenge of the speaker. The challenge of the speaker is to be able to say, even if I got to tell the story 10 times, what do they need to hear? And then hope and pray that your desire to get them to hear a message will be enough for God to put the right words in so that it delivers. Because the minute it becomes about the speaker, the audience, like audiences are incredible. Audience are like the most honest relationship is between a speaker and an audience because you you watch their eyes. They tell you exactly what they like and don't like. And even adult audiences because, you know, and I find that audiences can smell when the speaker gets up and goes, I got the podium now. You're all listening to me. And as soon as they sense that, like, it's about him or her. Hmm. It, that to me is, is a very, and by the way, it's not just in speaking. It's in parenting. It's in marriage. It's in being a doctor. And it's, it's lawyers. It's everything we do. If we do the things we do and the person we're serving as ourselves, the person across the table, they sense it. And I think in my heart, this is the opposite of this famous dictum that we learn, which is things that come from one's heart, enter a heart. I think it's the opposite. I think if a, if a person is operating for his own self-interest, it doesn't come out of your heart. So no one knows why. There's no like you said this line or that line, but there's a sense that this experience is not for me. And if he's taking my time and not paying me with things that are valuable to me. It's like going to a store and someone takes your money and then takes your food. Well, guess what? Attention is just as valuable as money. So if someone's giving someone attention and they don't get something in return for it, then they feel it. And I think that's a, I think we all have to work on it. I don't think anyone's ever absolved. And the best speakers I know are like living it. They're living it. They're, they're always thinking about it. They're, they're feedback like crazy. Like they're always looking at feedback. They're always seeing what people need to hear more of their, they have their ear to the ground to make sure that the messages are, are resonating because they're so focused on what they need and not what I like. And I think that's their success regardless if they're funny or not funny. They tell great stories. Don't tell great stories. I think all that's, it's, it's detail. I think that that's the claw. And when you hear it, you sense it. Charlie, I want to thank you for coming behind the beam wow. with us tonight. We had we had so much more we wanted to talk about. That's it. We want to talk about. I thought we were doing this all night. <laughs> this isn't like a Shavuos program. Like, what's up? We this is Boca coffee. We started He's sleeping tonight. We could. We'll go to sleep we could. In Boca early. I understand something. It's the summertime. What's going on in Florida in the summertime? Like, we're just chilling over here. You're the energizer buzzing, man. We could go the whole night long. Nothing would happen. We we had so many topics. We want to talk about Rav Weinberger, Panemius Hatora. We want to talk about any speech you ever gave that flopped, uh, <sighs> failure, anything you said that you might have regretted. We have a lot more to talk about. We're going to have to have you back on again. But we want to thank you for spending some time with us tonight, for coming behind the Bima, for making yourself vulnerable, really sharing a little bit personal what's going on inside. Continue to inspire. Continue mm-hmm. to be that clea, that vessel to be mm-hmm. able to uh, an instrument of, of inspiration, motivation mm-hmm. from Hashem. We love you and thank you for everything you. you're doing, Charlie. Thank you for what you're doing for Kali. So the three of you are lights on the Jewish people. You should have strength. You should yeah, have yeah. wisdom. You should have everything that you need to continue to share so much of your greatness with so many more people. Thank you for inviting me. Mitch Hashem, everything should be good. And we should be Zochit. I hope to do the next episode together live from the Waldorf in Yerushalayim. Um, amen. Amen. Thank you for the, for the book plug. Nice yeah, to host yeah, me yeah. in the Waldorf. Stay, Appreciate that. <laughs> I said stay the Waldorf for the rabbi. If, I, if I'm picking a place to go, you should lie. I'm like, why not stay in the Waldorf? The breakfast is amazing. Right. And it's a walk to the Kota. Like, you know, I'm, a man can dream. Done. <laughs> Done. We'll see you there. Thanks, Charlie. Right. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Charlie. All right. Hey. Charlie's Any coffee? Wow. We got to have coffee. Like, There's what? always a bowl of energy. You see what I mean? You need a nap now, right? He's so great. He's good. He's, He's good. He's, he's great. He is, he's he, exhausted. He's one of the most masterful storytellers. When he tells that story, he owns you. He's he's drawing you in with every word. It's it's a real gift. It's a real talent. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I'd love to have a camera, you know, at his dining room table, kitchen table. And that was the question I was asking him is, you know, n- not in an inauthentic way, right? What makes him successful, as he was just describing, is his authenticity. It's real, it's genuine. The question is, when he's at the kitchen table, kids, how was school today? How was it? Is it that same level of energy? 
or does he turn it up a notch when there's that? I think that's what people want to know. But I, this is him. Oh, you know, again, I've him. had breakfast. I've hung out with. This is him. He is just this ball of energy. It's funny. I once asked that uh, Sheer Englander, Rabbi Adam Englander, used to be head of school here in Boca. He's now at Halb, and he's also one of these super high energy type of people. So I once I said, does he wake up like that in the morning? And his kids looked at me. He said, yeah, it's the most annoying. He like wakes us up. He's like, let's go Englander family. We're ready to go. And they're like, dad, we just want to sleep a little bit longer. But it's a gift. It's a real gift to be able to bring that type of energy and to draw people in through it. Yeah, he's great. He's great. So I want to pick up a conversation we ended with last week. I want to update our listeners online live and on our podcast that they're rating and reviewing behind the BMO. And that is uh, the website. We've got a team already working to create a website to rate celebrities, athletes, power people in terms of their loyalty and love of Israel and the Jewish people. Say the right thing. We're going to make it easy for you to go to this website, have access to all their contact information, their agent, their agency, and applaud and promote and thank the people who are doing the right thing. And we're also going to list and make it easy for you to find and to criticize and call out and hold accountable people doing the wrong thing. And we've seen over this past week, last week we talked about Sean Jackson and his anti-Semitic comments. Since then, he spoke to a Holocaust survivor and he pledged he's going to go to Israel. And he got together with that patriot, what's his name again, or he's going to be getting together with him, Edelman. Um, so there's been some movement. But you know, just this week, just yesterday and today, there was some movement in this in a, in a great story of contrasts. And it's a sad story to me because it's a contrast between someone that here in South Florida is a hero we know and love. And there's so many things about him that we admire. And that is the great basketball player, Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade's a great ball player. And, and he also has a very strong character. Um, he's a great father. There's stories about him, his loyalty, his commitment, his dedication, his perseverance in family life. And yet Dwayne Wade disappointed South Florida, disappointed right. Heat Nation. He disappointed people everywhere today when he um, posted a, a tweet which was supportive of somebody who lost their job because of their anti-Semitic remarks. And soon after, he must have been called out really quickly, even without our website. By the way, we're taking suggestions of names for our website. Right now, we're working off of Celebrate. You got it? Like Celebrate? Because BRS is Celebrating Unity. Celebrate. Rating celebrities on everybody. But we're taking suggestions. Anyone has a good name for that website. So he took down his tweet and he wrote, I was too quick to respond without being fully informed about his hurtful anti-Semitic remarks. As you all know, I have zero tolerance for any hate speech. Now, my question <laughs> to you, my fellow panelists, is are you satisfied with that apology? I was too quick to respond without being fully informed about his hurtful anti-Semitic remarks. As you all know, I have zero tolerance for any hate speech. Without being fully informed. Does that sound like an apology, an excuse? Is it acceptable? Would we what does accept that? Mean? that? What he's trying to say is basically the following: um, somebody, somebody who had Cliff a high profile. <laughs> no, somebody who had a high. Pro, I don't want to say his name because I don't want to promote him. Someone who had a high profile position on a network um, as a commentator um, said really grossly inappropriate, terrible anti-Semitic um, comments and was fired. And so Dwayne Wade first wrote a uh, tweet saying, "We support you. We love you. Stay strong." He took that down right away. And now he says, oh, I'm really sorry. I was trying to just show him support. I didn't really realize what he said is hurtful anti-Semitic remarks. Now, to me, that's bogus. What do you mean? Your head's not in the sand. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Would you, would you allow that? Imagine somebody says, somebody gets fired for blatantly racist remarks, really grossly disturbing right. racist remarks. And someone else promotes, hey, stay strong. We love you. We're with you. Keep leading. I think that's what he wrote. Our fact checker tells me. We are with you. Keep leading. And then he gets called out. Keep leading. We're with you to a racist. Oh, whoa, whoa, no, I'm sorry. I was just misinformed. I just meant like we love you. What do you if you know that someone got fired, you don't know why they got fired? You haven't read the quotes for nah, why he they knew. got fired? Of course he knew. So as, as uh, one of our dear supporters and listeners, who's one day going to be sponsoring us, he's just waiting for his guest to come on. He's a brother-in-law with the same last name. But as he wrote to me about this, he wrote, I didn't know defense, which is really, I didn't know people would get this mad defense. That was the Dwayne Wade defense. I didn't know, which loosely translates as, I didn't know people would get this mad. So I took it down and rewrote something else. So I loved, I loved D. Wade. D. Wade's a hero in Florida. Brought home the title. He's amazing. Um, a lot of things to admire about him. But he comes up short on this one. And the apology comes up short. The excuse totally comes up short. So I just think we got to hold people accountable. And you contrast that to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem came through. Kareem wrote an article called, Where is the Outrage Over Anti-Semitism in Sports and Hollywood? 
Now, you might be surprised to see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that is not the name he was born with, as the one who authored that article. I don't know that he's positioned himself, never, God forbid, against the Jews, but not necessarily as this major spokesman for the Jews. But it took his calling out. Where is the outrage over anti-Semitism in sports and Hollywood? So again, this is the reason we need a website. You know, submit a name if you got an idea. But uh, we need a website so that you could listen tonight and while you're listening and right after you rate and review us, you could go on the website and send a message of appreciation and applause to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and you would be able to find D-Wade and say, hey, D-Wade, we love you, but we expect more. I have so much to say in response to that, but I'm going to be careful about what I say. Um, I, I, I will say as follows, though. I think, um, I think that there are people on two sides of the coin right now, and I think this is where D-Wade was uh, his comment came from. I think there are people that feel that the cancel culture has gone so far to one extreme that anytime they see someone get canceled without even exploring why the person got canceled, they automatically have this visceral reaction that says, don't let the bullies take you down, stand strong, stand for your convictions. Then once he actually saw what the comment is, he said, wait a second, um, that's obviously not acceptable. And that's why he walked it back. I'll also say, um, I do think we need a higher standard, especially when it comes to apologies. Um, an apology can be a very cheap thing or an apology can be very meaningful. And it's very hard to discern between real authentic apologies and apologies that are just said so that we can turn over the news cycle and uh, move on to something else. And I think whether it right. comes in the Jewish world or whether it comes to anti-Semitism or it comes to any issues in America, I think we need to have a higher standard. And when people make mistakes and say things that are slanderous and dangerous and libelous, so we can't let them get away with something as simple as a, I'm sorry, but as you yourself, Rabbi Goldberg, have written about and spoken about, there's something called tshuva. And tshuva is not simply saying, I'm sorry. There's a lot more that goes into tshuva about changing yourself, repairing the relationship with the person that you affected and impacted. And so I do think that we have to hold leaders to a higher standard right. when it comes to apologies, not just to let them get away with empty words. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, any apology that includes sorry if, if the word if is in there, it's not a real apology. Any apology that says didn't realize, wasn't educated, wasn't informed, it comes short as an apology. I had a long conversation with someone today with whom there's been some conflict. And, you know, there was one specific point, not overall, that I do regret and feel bad I could have done differently. And I wanted to model for him because I thought he had the much larger apology to offer. And I said to him, listen carefully, I said, I made a mistake. I own it. I shouldn't have done it. I admit it. I want to apologize and ask you forgiveness for it. And I want you to know I am committed not to do it again. And, you know, I was hoping it would be reciprocated, but it wasn't. And forget the context of that. And it was not anyone related to me. Um, forget the context of that. But that, that's, that's not my formula. That's the Rambam. That's our timeless Torah giving us a formula, the formula for what genuine reconciliation you know, means there are people who harmed and injured and hurt people terribly. And the way that they try to get around it as now they become public personalities and say, look, I know you'll find this about me. I want you to know that was part of my past. I'm a new person now. Well, that only works if you're a new person now. If we contact the people that you hurt and injured, they say, yeah, he made amends. He compensated, made me whole. I accept his apology and I'm happy for him to move on. But if everyone who were hurt and injured along the way say, haven't heard from him, the fact that you stand in front of a, of a camera with an internet connection and declare, I'm a new man, I'm a Baal Tshuva, doesn't make you that. So we have a formula for real apologies. And I know we're coming on Tisha B'Av, and this is the season um, of apologies because it's all about interpersonal relationships and, and the, the sale of Yosef, we paid for it, right? We, we know that uh, Tisha B'Av and the enmity and the, and the, and the sin chinam. So if we're going to reconcile and make things right, then we can't do it with bogus apologies, D-Wade, LeBron-type apologies. we got to do it with being genuine and authentic. Are we I, I also oh, think people have to – sorry, Robert Brody, and then I'll, I'll pass it back. But I also think as leaders, and I include myself in this as well, and I know you and I talk about this a lot, we're very much aware that when you're in a public position, words matter. And whether it's a tweet, whether it's a Facebook post, whether it's something that we say in a class or a sheer from the pulpit, words matter. And I always come back – to what Gary Chapman writes in The Five Love Languages, where he writes, words can either be bullets or they could be seeds. And I think that analogy to me, that, that imagery to me is so startling because it, 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 it could be a bullet, right? It could destroy someone. It could rip them down. It could tear apart their life. Or words can be seeds. If planted properly, if disseminated properly, it could, it could build something so incredible. And so I think as leaders, and again, I, I speak to myself, and I know you um, agree with me because we talk about it all the time. 
we're very much aware of the power of our words. And whether it's D-Wade or whether it's any public official or whether it's a celebrity or a sports star or a rabbi, we have to be aware that our words matter. We have to be cognizant of that, conscious of it. And when we do make mistakes, we have to own up to it. Yeah. I think the, first of all, the Dwayne Wade, was he responding to the Nick Cannon? Is that what we're talking yeah. about? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, somebody, I listened somebody, to the podcast. Somebody text, someone texted you while we were talking? No, what happened? I, you said before, you don't want to mention it. I just, was, just want to be clear. I don't know who we're talking about. But I listened to Nick Cannon's uh, podcast. I wanted to hear what he was saying. I'll be honest. I, I don't understand what he's talking about. I didn't understand. I, I listened to all the things he was saying about the Jews, and it was clearly anti-Semitic. I mean, there's no, there's no two ways about it. He's talking about, well, how could it be anti-Semitic if we're the Semite? I mean, again, it gets into this whole discussion, which the guy he's talking to, this rapper from the early 90s, who's thrown out of his own rap band because of anti-Semitism. I don't think he understood what Nick was talking about. Like they were, they were having a conversation where they're both agreeing with one another, but they didn't. I, I'm telling you, I was watching. They didn't agree with each other because they didn't know what the other one was saying. But right. all these people that give these apologies, if it's only I'm apologizing because I want to keep my job, it's clear I'm not changing my opinion. Right. Like, doesn't count. Just because doesn't you're pol- doesn't mean you're, you're thinking any different. And what, what does that help? Right? Yeah, so that, it's, it's an interesting time. First of all, I want to just respond to a couple of comments, and we gotta, we got to wind it down and wrap it up. Um, but one is, you know, Kareem is a big supporter of Chabad, someone writes, close with the rabbis in LA. Wasn't Kareem Lou Alcinder? Kareem, right? Kareem? Uh, yeah. Yeah, when he was Lou Alcindor, <laughs> like, <laughs> when he was Lou Josh, Alcindor, we're talking was, about ba- Rabbi Brody. We're talking about basketball yeah. here. That's the one with the yeah. hand. Where's our Where's our fact checker? Uh, when he was Lou Alcindor, he used to play in the parks. My mother has first cousins who were legends in the Jewish basketball Cassius world. Clay, Gary Aboff, and Ray Aboff. Gary Aboff and Ray Aboff were basketball legends. They used to play with him. They used to uh, bump under the basket with him in the day. So, um, but we do appreciate his loyalty, and I wish there were a means. I wish we could announce a a. Um, an email address that everybody would be able to reach out to them and say, thank you. Thank you for that. It was really special. But, you know, I want to call out a dear friend of us, somebody who maybe is our only double sponsor so far. No, we've had two double sponsors. Yeah, Mark he's also, wrong. Shabbos Light. And he's 100% wrong. I love him. But here's the danger, right? Because a dear friend of ours, who we're not going to mention his name, it might rhyme with Shmabity or Shmabadi, <laughs> depending how you pronounce <laughs> it. But he says, he said, Wade is different. Rousel, he didn't say anything, Oracle. <laughs> yeah. He didn't say anything dangerous or slanderous. You can't excuse that. It doesn't count. You would not hold the same standard if it was racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, or any other phobia. So because it's somebody you like, because we love D. Wade, I love D. Wade too. He was a great ball player. He made a lot of fun down here. He brought home the championships. He's a great dad. He's a family man. He's devoted. I love him. But you know what? Again, people can make mistakes. And this goes back to what you were saying, Rabbi Moskowitz. You're allowed... The cancel culture is bad, right? The, the immediate reaction we had, which is cancel, is not necessarily good. What I learned after last week's episode, Deshaun Jackson, I was like, forget it. He shouldn't just be fined. He should be out of the NFL. He should be out of a job. It's over. But you know, Edelman taught me something, which I was really impressed by. He reached out and he said, look, I'll take you to the Holocaust Museum. You take me to the Museum of the History of the African-American Community. Let's sit down and have lunch and let's talk about our people. Let's become more informed and more sensitive. And you know what? His method, his path is right. Because in the end of the day, if you, if you get to Sean, to Sean Jackson and you turn him around, right? This is APAC's method of bringing people to Israel, getting boots on the ground, seeing it firsthand. Then Deshaun Jackson could become the biggest advocate, spokesperson. That guy could get up and defend the Jewish people. So cancel culture reaction is bad. But on the other hand, it can't be that we like someone. So we excuse the people we like. And you see that in politics all the time too, right? I like this president. I like this candidate. I like this senator. I like this congressman. So because I'm predisposed to like them, I filter what they're saying and I make excuses. I justify, I re-explain it. I hold them to a different standard than the people that I am inclined not to like. The truth is truth. We got to hold people to a standard. We don't have to react immediately with the cancel culture, but we do have to educate and form and ultimately hold people to a standard where there's a genuine apology, a genuine uh, remorse, genuine commitment to do it differently going forward. And that is not what happened here. I hope that tomorrow, Dwayne Wade will wake up. I hope that tomorrow, Dwayne Wade, someone will take him. By the way, Dwayne, if you're listening, I'm happy to have coffee, He's lunch. welcome on the show. You're welcome on the show, Dwayne. You know, Ray Allen is a good example. We were on a plane with Ray Allen recently. Uh, recently, by the way, no one was on a plane recently. We were on a plane with Ray <laughs> Allen a few months ago to Washington. And he was going there because Ray Allen, Ray Allen, I love that dagger, the three he hit from the corner as time ran out. It was incredible. One of the greatest shots in NBA history. But, Nightmares um, about that. Ray Allen was money. That, that was an unbelievable. How he got that shot off is insane. But anyway, why was Ray Allen on the plane to Washington? Benedict Arnold. 
because Ray Allen is a member of the board of the Holocaust Museum, the United States Holocaust Museum. He has taken tours to Auschwitz. Ray Allen is bothered to study history and understand it. So again, you contrast some of these athletes and being an athlete is not an excuse. Being you know, ignorant is not an excuse. Educate yourself, be informed, or don't comment. You don't have to tweet. Nobody's waiting for you to weigh in on lyrics or politics or, or people who've been fired. So I think that um, we have to hold people to a standard. And I hope soon one of our episodes coming up, we'll be able to announce our up and running website. I'm not raising money for it. So that's refreshing, right? I'm not asking anyone to give money for it. But if you have a good name for it, we've got a great team of volunteers already working on it. And uh, hopefully it'll have a big impact. I like to celebrate. Any closing thoughts, John? You know, I think we're, we're, yeah, no, I have a lot of closing thoughts. I was trying to decide to limit it to one. Um, <laughs> we are living in interesting times where um, because of social media, individuals have power all of a sudden, right? It used to be that it was very hard to speak truth to power because I was a little nobody and these were high important celebrities or officials or politicians. And it was very hard when you saw injustice in the world to be able to speak out and to speak up against it. We live in a world now where it's very easy to do. You could be sitting in the comfort of your computer and get a couple of friends or a couple of hundred friends together and to speak out about an issue and literally take down very important people. And I think that we and our generation has to realize that like anything, um, with power comes responsibility. And if we have that voice, And if we have the ability to use social media uh, to our advantage, then then that comes with enormous responsibility. And people who sit on the sidelines and watch history pass by are going to be judged by it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, just just to close with this thought, and and again, I'm grateful to our fact checker who shared this. You need to know that what Cannon shared, right, quote, he said, Jews are deceivers and not the real Israelites. And this notion that black Jews are the real Israelites and we Jewish people are frauds and, and we usurped it, it's that mentality that drove the Muncie stabbing massacre. That was the philosophy and that was the agenda. So when people comment on, on, online on, on a network or when people on a video talk about someone being, you know, should get the death penalty, they're high of Misa for their, their thinking, there are mad men, mad people, I'll be politically correct. There are mad people out there who are listening. And when you say somebody's worth the death penalty, or you say a philosophy that they're not the real Israelites, there are mad people who are waiting in the shadows to act on it. It's dangerous. And if we tolerate it, we shouldn't wake up later and say, you know, I can't believe it. Or how did this happen? It happens because we're silent and we tolerate. And we have to be those activists that Rabbi Tights was that, that we heard about, you know, last week from Mark Wolf. And, and if we are that, that activism, or we have nothing to be afraid of to stand up and step up for ourselves, and with love and passion to educate with the hope of reconciliation, not the hope of, of dividing, then uh, hopefully we can make the world a safer and a little bit of a better place. So Amazing. on that note, <sighs> Robert Brody, you're, you're itching to say something. Go ahead. No, just Jewish Unity Day, almost 25,000 views in one week. <laughs> it's amazing. If you haven't seen it's it yet, about, go watch it now. It is Jewish it's Unity. It's all about the Jewish Unity. So in this period of the three weeks, let's all work on this. Let's be lovers, not haters. Let's connect, not divide. Let's hold people accountable, but for their words and actions, never about them and and try to turn them around rather than push them away. And if we all do a little bit more of that within our Jewish community and outside of it, we'll make the world a little bit of a better place. So on behalf of Rabbi Moskowitz and Rabbi Brody, I'm Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. Thank you for joining us behind the Bema. Check out our podcast, rate and review it. Wishing everybody a happy, a healthy, and a holy night. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bema. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the Bema.